Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm in the studio today with the one and only Sean Gardner, my partner in crime here at the law firm. And we've got Cody Beeson, our sound tech, running the board and making things sound good. We've got a lot to go over today. Before we get too far into this, though, I just want to make mention of this upcoming seminar that we have next week. That's on November 30th. It's a Thursday at the Yuma Main Library. And this was Sean's brainchild. He wanted to do a later type class. So we're doing it at six o'clock at the main library on November 30th. And uh, that's really to help other people that are working, right? Sean, was that your... Yeah, a lot of our clients are retired. And that that makes sense because they're looking to get all their affairs in order and they've got a little more time and they've got their assets and their retirement established. And so they come to us and, and we help put that all together for them. But in reality... Everybody needs to have some type of planning. We're all mortal, and if you become incapacitated, who's going to make important decisions for you? A lot of people think, I don't have an estate, I don't have a big house, I don't have a large bank account, so I don't need an estate plan. If you have children, the most important decision out there is who's going to be the guardian of your children. You might have a life insurance policy that you don't count as part of your your net worth, but it will be if you pass away, and those children will inherit it. So that is trying to open up the conversation to the younger folks out there that may not be already considering estate planning. So yes, November 30th, Thursday, 6 p.m. at the Yuma Main Library, we're going to open it up for um, the mainstream working folks. And if you can't make it to that one, we've got another one the next day. This is Friday, December 1st at 1 p.m. at the Foothills Library, which is a great venue. They're both really good venues. And we always have a good raucous crowd at both. But uh, I would encourage you to come and see us. If you have questions, legal questions about how to get your stuff started, your get your affairs in order, maybe you already have something in place like a will or a power of attorney, come see if you can enhance that or make it better. Um, and The reason I say that is because at the very end of these seminars, we always open it up to questions, and that's one of my favorite parts. And I know, Sean, you really enjoy that as well as taking those questions from the crowd because that's when we can really be put on our feet and get challenged, which I love. Yeah, yeah, that's where the genuine conversation comes from. And quite honestly, many presenters, they dread the skeptics in the crowd. We enjoy having the skeptic in the crowd, and we always have one or two. And the reason we enjoy it is because it's only by contesting concepts and ideas that you actually get to vet out whether or not they hold water under scrutiny. And when we develop those ideas with a skeptic and help them understand and resolve their concerns, not only are hopefully they're a bit enlightened, but the crowd, the audience in general, understands maybe some concerns that they they didn't want to express, they were a little timid to say out loud, but um, they see how it would play out. A lot of people say, well, my mom passed away, and we didn't have to go through probate. Well, okay, were your parents married? Did they own joint accounts, both on the deed to the house? That's why, but let me explain to you what the next step is, and so we can walk through that process. Absolutely. So that leads us into questions, being challenged or asking questions. And and, uh, Cody, before we got started on the show, you said, I have a question for you guys. 
and uh let's hear it yeah yeah so i i I thought like you know this is something that came through and what better opportunity to get you know a direct answer from two attorneys that deal with estate planning every day um a year ago somebody was begged by a friend that lives in arizona to be a personal representative so a secondary personal representative on a trust in nevada because the attorney in nevada required it i don't know why but they they wanted to see a second representative long story short you know where this is going that first representative uh, clean the account out and has no accounting of it. So now the attorney has filed a notice of non-compliance and this person is the, asking the attorney for the beneficiaries who should have received the inheritance. Is that who? What, which attorney? Uh, the attorney that required them to get a second, uh, the, 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 the estate planning attorney out of Nevada. Okay. So the one probating it or, or handling, I guess it would be probating, but the one handling the, the matter, it required a second personal representative. So this person that lives in Arizona is on the hook. And she wants to know, uh, can the lawyer sue me for any unpaid fees because she's a second personal representative? Uh, can the court hold me liable? And can I, uh, deploy, can I declare bankruptcy because of this? Um, so it's really like put this person um, upside down. Um, yeah. they're, they're already $13,000 um, in debt because of of these unpaid bills that she's finding and there's even more that they're discovering. So is she liable because she's a second personal representative? So first of all, let's talk about what the duties and responsibilities are of a personal representative to, to understand how she got in this situation in the first place and, and what the first personal representative was supposed to do. Now for all of you out there listening, personal representative is synonymous with executor. So the executor of the estate, the person that's named to be in control of paying out all the bills, consolidating the assets, and distributing them according to the will. So we're going to call that the personal representative. Their duty is to find the creditors of the estate by looking through the bills of the decedent, determining who is owed money. They have to publish notice in the newspaper. It's a really antiquated way, you know, who reads the newspaper anymore, but that's still the rule. So you publish notice in the newspaper, and uh, you wait at the period of time and it's called the creditor period. And after the creditor period, and people have been given an opportunity to present their claims against the estate, then you can start to make distributions out of the estate. And certainly, um, when you're taking money out of the estate for your own personal use and, and not as compensation and fulfilling your duty as a personal representative, then yeah, you're stealing from the estate. And that's just stealing in any other way. It's just Taking money is embezzling in, because you're being placed in a position of trust. So they're responsible, that first personal representative. Now, when they either resign or get taken off because of court order as the personal representative, then the second personal representative that's appointed um, is not going to be held accountable for their actions unless they were in some way complicit. Right. So if they didn't contribute, if they didn't know about it, if they didn't benefit it, benefit from it in any way, then no, they're not going to be held responsible. But what's going to happen is the court is going to issue them the same order that it issued the first personal representative. And that is to look after the affairs of the estate, to provide an accounting to the court and to the beneficiaries as to what is left in the estate and how it's going to be handled. Are, are you able to walk back that and say, like, look, I have nothing to do with these people. This isn't my family. I was just doing a favor. 
Like, I don't want to be a personal representative. Absolutely. So you don't have to accept that appointment. So if if you're named in a will as a personal representative, you do not have to accept it. And uh, many people have this misconception that um, when somebody dies, the government comes in and has this automatic system in place where things become probated. And so you just kind of watch the the bureaucratic wheels turn and, and things get divvied out. That is not at all what happens. When somebody passes away, unless an interested party, unless somebody that's either named as a personal representative in the will or a beneficiary actually submits the will to the court and requests or petitions for an opening of a probate matter, then the court has nothing to do with what's going on with the decedent and its estate. So that's something a lot of people ask, like, what happens when somebody dies? When does, when does this stuff start being distributed and consolidated? And the answer is when somebody else takes responsibility, steps up to the plate, and goes to the court and opens up that probate. So it, it's not as if this is something that, like Social Security, they automatically get notified when somebody passes away and, and they have this mechanism in place where they're going to cut off payments. The government's very good at one thing, and that is stopping payment, right? But they're not going to be uh, proactively involved in probating this estate. And so when the petitioner takes this will and actually submits it to the court and says, okay, I want to open up a probate, generally that petitioner is the same person that's going to be willing to accept the appointment as a personal representative. And when they accept that appointment, they have to go through a course, generally it's online, that uh, educates them about all their duties and responsibilities of what they're going to be tasked with as a personal representative. And then once they are appointed by the court, they get issued an order saying, you must do this. You must care for the estate. You must make sure the creditors get paid. If you distribute assets out of the estate prior to paying um, debts that are higher in priority, which all debts are higher in priority than the beneficiaries, then um, you are going to be liable as a personal representative for mishandling this estate. Now, I want to clarify one thing. Not all debts are higher than um, beneficiaries. For example, there are um, the family exemptions. And what that is is the spouse um, or minor dependent children, minor or dependent children, you could be a dependent child and not be a minor, um, they have a homestead exemption, So, and it's only $18,000. Oh, yeah. when was that written? Yeah, a long time ago. And I don't know why any statue would be written with a specific dollar amount because it becomes outdated so quickly, but it's an old one. And so $18,000 is what they are allowed to receive for living. And um, then they get up to $1,000 a month for the first year after the death. And so that amounts to $12,000. So you add those two together, that's $30,000. And then they get $7,000 of the personal property of the estate. And and that can include accounts as well. So the total amount is $37,000 that first goes to either spouse or dependent children. Then the creditors can start receiving payment for the debts that they're owed. Once the creditors are paid off, then you can start distributing to the beneficiaries. If you distribute to the beneficiaries and then later on a creditor pops up, 
then you as a, the personal representative are going to be liable. Oh, wow. Now, you mentioned a creditor period. Are there different creditor periods in different states? Or is there a national standard? No, it's not national. It's going to be state to state. So I think most of them are probably in line with Arizona. But uh, ours is four months, like Sean alluded to. I, I like to think of you've got post You've got pre-creditors that might be out there, and that's really important. A lot of people think, well, when a person dies, their their debtors, their their creditors just go away. That's not the case. Your creditors still want to get paid just because you died. Doesn't mean that it magically goes away. Sometimes some debts might, but most of the time, the general rule is that the creditors still want to be paid. And so those are pre-death things that the person that was living took out, it could be a credit card in their name that they have a balance on, it might be a mortgage, it might be anything that that person that's now died took out, the estate's still responsible for satisfying that somehow. I like to use the word satisfies rather than pay because it's not always the case that you pay the full amount. For example, let's say a person dies with a Visa card with $5,000 on it, I would recommend to that personal representative to negotiate with Visa to get that down. And usually they're pretty good about that. They'll, they'll take a lesser amount for what was actually owed. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. And so you can satisfy that debt, not pay it all the way off. You're trying, as a personal representative, your goal, like Sean said, your fiduciary duty is to the beneficiary. So you're trying your best to get as much to go to the beneficiaries as possible. And part of that duty is negotiating, getting these debts to go away. Sometimes they'll even waive them. They'll say, oh, you know, we're sorry that you had to go through this loss and blah, 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 blah. So you can play that card. It sounds horrible when I say it that way, but you can play that card. And I suggest you would do that because you want to get the as much money to the beneficiaries as you can. And creditors, you know, they come and go. Uh, but then you might have some post-death creditors that come out. And so in your question from your friend here, one of those creditors might be attorney's fees. So that happens after the person died and you go to an attorney's office and you retain that attorney. That person as a personal representative is entering into a contract on behalf of the estate to get work done and then pay for those services. So that's after the fact. Those aren't necessarily just going to go away either. You have to, you've created a contract between the attorney and the estate or the personal representative. And so that has to be dealt with. It has to be satisfied. I think, in my opinion, you know, this first person that stole everything and ran away or whatever, no, they're totally liable. And so the the target, in my opinion, would not be, I don't know, have all the facts here, but from what you told us, would not be on the second fiduciary at all. Okay, that's what they're worried about. No, is, is that coming back to them? It's going to be pointed towards the estate, number one, but if somebody acted in a way that was malfeasance and deliberate, then they're personally liable for what they did. If they drained the accounts and ran away with it, then now they're personally liable. The challenge becomes it's very difficult to get it back. Mm. Now you've got to sue that person. So you've got to sue that person and try and get that back, and it's just a whole thing. So we always say, Sean and I always will recommend, you have... For example, in a trust, you name a successor trustee, trust, trust. You got to trust that person. Don't put somebody in there that you have any doubt will do what you want. Can it be undone? Yeah, but it's going to be costly. It's going to be litigation. It's going to be difficult. And so you can avoid all that if you just choose the right person in the first place. Yeah. And all of this, you know, a trust, of course, is not going to go through probate. Um, so everything that I described as far as opening up a petition and ha- getting the court involved, that has nothing to do with the trust. And the main difference is this, um, and, and this will help clarify what is probate and what, why does a trust avoid it. 
Probate is a process of administering the assets that are held in the name of a dead person. The assets and the liabilities in the name of a dead person. And the court has that authority. So if an individual has a house in his name and a car in his name and a bank account in his name and bills in his name, then you're going to need to go to the court to get authority to pay those bills and to consolidate those assets and distribute them. And it doesn't matter if he has a will that says exactly how it's to be done, and it doesn't matter how organized all those are, so you can see exactly who to pay, and you can pay off the creditors very easily and distribute the other assets. You won't have authority to do that on his behalf, because he's dead, through a power of attorney, because that power of attorney dies with him. You have to go through the court in order to get that accomplished. Whereas a trust, what it does is it takes the actual ownership, the legal title, out of the name of the individual. And so when he dies, he dies with nothing in his name individually. So then the court has no control over any assets that that he would have had or otherwise because he doesn't have any assets. It's held in an entity and it's a living trust. It goes into effect while he's living. The transfers occurred to the trust while he's alive and the trust continues to live. We consider it an immortal entity. And so it continues to live after he's passed away and he has this set of managers, if you will, we call them trustees, but they are designated to follow his instructions to pay off the liabilities that are due, the just liabilities, and to distribute the assets to the individuals that are indicated. And you can do all of that privately without filing a document with the court or with the county recorder or anywhere else because it that entity is still alive and well and has authority to buy, sell, consolidate assets, and distribute them. So that's the major difference. We've got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I am Sean Garner in studio here with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. We are talking about probate. And uh, this thrilling topic, we're going to discuss a little bit more. So what we're going to talk about here is priority of claims. Who has claims first in order of priority when somebody passes away? So we have priority of claims. Cody, I want to present three claims to you. You're a non-attorney. Um, you help us quite a bit, and I know you, that you um, are up on some of this stuff. But let me list the priorities of claims and give you an ABC 
option to select which you think is the priority, and we'll go from there. Uh, A, the funeral expenses. B, the taxes under federal law that are owed (laughs) by the estate. Uh, C, the hospital expenses that were incurred as a result of the last illness right before they died. And I'm going to even throw a D in here. Um, the lawyer's fees and the fees that the personal representative incurs for their time. Those all seem like a first priority. Yeah. You know, right. um, I imagine, you want me to go over them again? Well, I, I think I got them. I think the taxes would be first. So you got taxes. You got... Um, that never goes away. <laughs> right. You got funeral expenses. I think that would be last. Okay. I don't know. Med- the last medical expenses. And then you have the... Attorney's fees and executor or personal representatives' well, expenses. I'd pay the medical bills last because that's why we're in the situation. I okay. didn't do a good enough job. Uh, I see. Uh huh. So. Yeah, the doctor needs to save everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I imagine so it is taxes first, right? And then would it be normal bills and would attorney bills be right up there with medical bills or how would that work? So the actual order is attorney's fees are first. Who wrote that law? <laughs> <laughs> so no kidding exactly right who who are the people that serve in the legislatures predominantly attorneys and if it's not them serving it's them who are lobbying so um yes it's attorney's fees i actually participate on the probate and trust executive council for the state bar of arizona and we we often get tasked with submitting bills to the legislature um, regarding probate and trusts. And, and I totally agree with this one. <laughs> Attorneys are first in priority. And the reason why I think it's a very good one, because nothing is going to happen. This goes to my first point. Nothing's going to happen unless somebody proactively submits this to the court and opens up a probate matter. So everybody's going to be stuck unless an attorney and a personal representative get together and actually open up the file and move it along, move it along in the first place. And so let me just contrast this with the, the federal approach with VA benefits. There is a federal law that attorneys or anybody can't get paid to assist a veteran in applying and qualifying for VA benefits. And as a result, the turnaround for a veteran actually getting the benefits they deserve is something like 18 to 36 months. And it's ridiculous. And and all the attorneys are out there saying, I'd love to help you, but I've also got to make a living and I can't actually charge you. Now, of course, you can, you can kind of imagine when this bill went through Congress, they thought, well, we're going to protect the veterans out there from those blood-sucking attorneys. When result, what happened was the veterans don't have the protection they need with the attorneys holding the administrators' feet to the fire and saying, these are the rules, here's my client, he's entitled to benefits, he's served your, the country, now provide him the benefits. And so I can charge for Medicaid applications, and so I can get, I can get somebody on Medicaid much quicker than I could get somebody qualified for VA benefits, and that's because the program has been gnarled into this big rat's nest because there's no attorneys there holding them accountable. I had no idea that it was that dirty because, I mean, it's like you're not allowed to use this tool that you have in every other situation in society. And I think it's unconstitutional. I mean, in the Constitution, it says that we have the constitutional right to contract, which when I first read the Constitution, I thought, 
Why would they throw it? The constitutional right to contract. That doesn't seem like one of those, you know, fundamental inalienable rights, but it is. Like we have to have the ability to work together without being impeded by the government in order to get the best results. And so that's a constitutional right to contract one with another, one in which usually gets um, trampled upon and impeded by without anybody really holding up their hand and saying, hold on a second, this is my constitutional right. Anyway, let's get back to the other priorities of claim. It is the attorney and the personal representative. They are number one. No kidding. So number two, it's um, the funeral expenses. And again, we don't want the, the bodies being stuck out on the street or hanging out in the morgue forever. Right. So funeral homes need to have some type of high priority there to get the bodies taken care of and either cremated or buried because that's obviously necessary, you know, part of the whole process, and we want them to get paid. So we need to get the process started, get access to the estate by the attorneys, the personal representatives, then we need to get the funeral homes paid. Then next, it's a toss, right? you, you might think it's a toss-up between hospitals and um, federal taxes, I if I if it was me I would say hospitals. Yeah. It's federal taxes. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so you you look at that and okay, now now the IRS is there. They want to get paid. And that's where you you're a little bit in the hot seat as the personal representative because you're tasked with consolidating all these assets and making sure that the proper people get paid first, but taxes are one of those things that are this big unknown out there. And so you don't want to be distributing out the assets of the estate thinking, oh, I've, I've paid all my, you know, the ambulance bill and the credit card bill and, and the final APS bill. And now I can go ahead and distribute the assets because there might be some taxes there. And that, that's a higher priority. So that is number three, debts and taxes with preference under federal law. Then it gets to hospitals. So number four on the list is hospitals. When the doctors that have cared for you, the nurses that have provided the care, the ambulance services, those actually are number four on the list for the final expenses incurred, medical expenses that are incurred prior to death. Number five is taxes to the state. Like capital gains if you sold property or... Well, capital gains, it can be both taxed statewide and federally. So, you know, you have your state taxes. You have to file your Arizona state taxes if you live here in Arizona or you have to, if you live in other states, their taxes. Um, California obviously has different taxes in Arizona, but you have to pay the state tax next. Wait, is this the death tax that we... No, okay. no. This is just the income that um, the individual before they passed away generated. So the income tax that they are liable for, as if they had paid it in April, anyways, right? Yes. Okay. So, so it's as if they lived throughout that period and and were responsible for it. But that's that's down there um, fifth on the list, and then after that, it's creditors. So mortgage on the house. Now, of course, you want to pay the mortgage on the house. Because if you don't, then they can foreclose on the house. They have a lien against the house. Um, you want to pay debts on car loans. Otherwise, they're going to repo the car. And, and quite honestly, the rule is all debts have the same priority. 
okay, as far as the probate process goes. But as far as an administrator of the probate, you want to look after what's going to benefit the estate. And a secured debt, where you're going to be able to keep the property by paying that debt, that's one that you want to look at and see if you can satisfy. And an unsecured debt, like a credit card debt, well, maybe that's not as high on your personal priority list. So when you're, you're planning on a personal level, you want to look at this and say, okay, what do I have to lose? The house, if I don't pay the mortgage, um, the car, if I don't pay the car payment, credit card, well, that's just going to be a claim. Well, that we can negotiate. And, and, and it's much more easily negotiated because they don't have any security. They don't have any asset that is going to be taken away from you if you don't pay it. Now, they've got a claim against in court for it, so if there's any money left over, then you're going to have to pay that claim. And, and they don't have to reduce their claim. They can just say, no, we want the full amount. We're going to make our claim. We're going to go through the court process with you and um, spend our own attorney's fees. Then they can do that. The, oftentimes they don't because they'd rather take a settled amount, a, a reduced amount, than go through the whole process. And, and you as a personal representative, you're like, listen, I'm carrying this big load here. You, you are just sitting back as a creditor. Can we work something out? I'll pay you a reduced amount. Let's, let's reduce it by 30%. So that oftentimes is available. It's not required. The, the creditor does not have to accept a reduced amount, especially if there's money left over in the estate. Are, are there different credit periods if you use an estate uh, plan like a will versus a trust? Yes and no. Um, so in a will, you have to go through probate, and the assets are still held in the name of the individual, and the court is going to be overseeing whether the personal representative followed through on the obligations to pay the, the priority claims first. And also, in a will, it's required that you publish notice and that you send notice to the known creditors. So you have to actually send a letter to all the creditors that you know about saying, hey, you've got 60 days to make a claim from the date that you get this letter. If you don't make a claim within 60 days, then you no longer have a legal claim against this estate. And that's it. We, we can pay out all the rest of the assets to anybody else, and, and your claim is not going to hold up against us. So that's their window of opportunity. So they really need to get on the ball to make that claim within 60 days. They can also, you also have to publish notice in the newspaper. And it's, you only have to publish it in a newspaper of general, general circulation in the county where uh, the probate is occurring, where the person was domiciled when they passed away. And so here, it's pretty easy. You know, the, the Sun is the only paper that does that. Um, but in other cities, you could choose from a lot of publications, and you might want to choose the one that's least read, because then it, it reaches the, the, fewer, the fewest people, and maybe less claims come in. But it's four months after you publish that first notice, that the creditors have the opportunity to make the claim. So the creditor period for anybody that didn't get direct notice through a letter is uh, four months. If you don't publish that notice, then creditors actually have the opportunity to make a claim against the estate for two years. Oh, wow. And so when you're doing a trust, you, you're not obligated to publish that notice. You're not obligated to actually send out the notice to the creditors. But if you don't, then... You, it's opening up that, um, p- that time period for a claim against the estate or the trust for two years. So we do want to typically send out the notice. Now, some of our clients are very private, 
and very confident and competent in paying all of their bills on time. And so they don't want any notices sent out about the administration of their estate. And so they, they elect not to have the creditors notified. And that's personal preference after being given legal advice on, on how to handle that. So with the probate, four months for publication, uh, two months, essentially 60 days for uh, direct notice. That's the time period for the creditors. If you don't give notice, it's two years. Oh, wow. We got to go to break. This is life, death, and the law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about probate and expenses of the estate and creditors that can make claims against the estate. We established that uh, the priority of creditors is probably not what you might have thought. First of all, it's the attorney's fees that have the highest priority. The attorney's fees and the personal representative fits right up there. They're both called administrative fees. Um, the second is funeral expenses. We want people to get taken care of and buried or, or cremated. Um, third is federal taxes. Fourth is the final medical expenses. Fifth is state taxes. And sixth is all other creditors but, of course, secured claims like houses and cars are probably going to be higher on the priority list for the individual handling the estate. So, Adam, we get a question commonly um, when children of a deceased parent comes in and there's a lot of debt in the estate. There, there, there was nothing left for them to inherit except the debt that their parents incurred. And they're very worried because they're named in the will as a personal representative or just by priority under the law their name, they, they have that uh, ability to be appointed as a personal representative, and they feel like they need to clean up the estate that their parents left them, and they, they don't know what to do. They, they, they're upside down, a couple hundred thousand dollars. The estate is what we call insolvent. There's not enough assets to pay all the debts, and they're concerned that they are going to be personally responsible for their parents' debts. What do you say to that? Uh, we get, and like you mentioned, we get this question quite often because this comes up quite a bit where a loved one passes away, and now the fiduciary that's named in the planning is responsible for taking care of stuff, and uh, they're always concerned about this stuff coming back personally upon them, meaning they, they're somehow, because they're named as a fiduciary in this plan, or they take on the role of a fiduciary through some means of court uh, order or something like that, that they now have to personally 
pay debts of the dead person, and that's never the case. The target is on the dead person's estate. It's an illegal. It's a legal entity that's created when that person dies. Immediately when that person dies, they it now turns over to their estate, and so, and there's all sorts of different things to talk about there too. But any debts that they had are now res- the responsibility of the estate, the, that entity, and the personal representative or the trustee, if it's a trust. Now they're responsible for paying those as as a fiduciary, but not never out of their own pocket. And a lot of people, not a lot, everybody I talk to when we talk about this subject, they're always super relieved that they don't have to personally uh, deal with those things and pay out of their own pocket. A lot of times they feel some sort of moral obligation to do that. And I try to explain to them that's not their, their goal. I mean, that's not their duty. They don't have to do that. And secondly, there's no government boogeyman out there that's looking over everything and I think people have the misconception that if they don't do or act in a certain time frame after a person passes away, that somehow the government's going to get involved and come after them or something like that. Really, nobody knows when the person passes away until that death certificate is issued. And then the Social Security Department usually gets a copy of that, and, and the feelers go out to like local banks and, and national banks and things like that. But other than that, you really have to be diligent about going out into the world and letting institutions know that this person died. Otherwise, they really don't know in most cases. So there's no government looking over the the system. You have to be proactive in moving it along. So what that means is that you could let it sit and do nothing. What I was going to add on to that is that's really when these individuals that are worried about having to pay debts personally for a dead person they get calls and stuff at their house and these creditors will start hunting people down and threatening them. Honestly, I've heard of threats before. Yeah. Uh, and you know, responsible to pay this, blah, blah, blah. You're not responsible to pay it, but they don't know. And so they, they don't know totally or, or they're, they're going to get paid a, a, a portion of the debt that they collect. So they're just going to say whatever they want. A lot of times there are these individuals that are hired by, uh, these companies to collect debt. And this is a part-time gig for them. They're doing it as a night job, they have no idea what the actual law is. And so they're just going to call and harass you trying to make a buck, which that's their job, but they don't know what the real rule is. And so sometimes um, they tell you things that aren't true. Absolutely. And, and uh, they probably get paid a fee. I think the, the more money they can bring in for that oh, collector, they, yeah. they get a commission on that. So they have a motivation and it's not to make uh, anybody else more enriched than themselves. And so having that as the premise, then it's not really my counsel to my clients to go out of their way to pay these people. Sharks, I mean, if you want to think about it, it's like a shark. It's just circling in the water trying to get what any, what it, whatever it can get. Yeah, um, and the most aggressive one gets the biggest chunk. Yeah, because they threaten and people don't understand, oh, I'm not actually liable for this. The estate is, and so if if there's money in the estate to pay these fees, then you have a responsibility to do that or at least satisfy them, like we talked about before. But I, I creditors to me um, aren't the biggest issue in most cases. We want to try to avoid them as, as much as possible. Well, well we, we, ad- we address them head on. Yeah, I, I guess that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't mean like you just don't think about it or don't do it, but... We, we don't, in my opinion, I don't want a lot to go to the creditors. I'm trying to get them satisfied and out of the picture, whatever that might take. And um, that way we, we can preserve most of the stuff for the beneficiaries.
Right. And sometimes people come in and they've got a lot of debt and the debt is actually more than the amount of the, the, their assets. And so they're upside down. And they said, well, I'm only in here for a power of attorney because not only do I not have a lot of assets, I have more debt than assets. That is a, even a good case for planning because an individual has an ability to file bankruptcy and a state does not. So um, an individual could come in and say, okay, I've got my house and it's worth 200000 Well, let's, we'll call it, yeah, 150000 It makes the, the rule run a little bit smoother. $150,000, I, I own my house outright. I have my car, it's $10,000. I've got my personal belongings. I've got my 401k and, um, and I've got this debt, this credit card debt that is amounted and, and this lawsuit that's out there for, you know, some business deal that I did. And I think I, I really got the raw end of the deal in this lawsuit. And so I'm upside down $200,000. Um, what do I do? You file bankruptcy. That would be the appropriate thing to do because as an individual, you can file bankruptcy, clear out that debt. You get to keep the protected assets, your homestead is going to protect your house for equity up to $150,000 here in Arizona. It's going to protect most retirement accounts. It's going to protect um, a vehicle up to, I don't know what the exact amount is right now. Um, it's, it's somewhere between $5,000 and $10,000. And um, it's going to protect a lot of personal property. So um, you could file bankruptcy. Then if you passed away, that house, now you've, you've cleared out the debts. Now that house and that retirement and that car can pass on to your beneficiaries. So there are laws out there that, that are, are beneficial for you. And whether or not you should or shouldn't do that, you should understand your options. And so estate planning really is for everybody, regardless of what their situation is. They need to know who's going to manage their affairs if they're incapacitated and the easiest way to distribute them or handle even their um, expenses and debts after they pass away. Again, if you are interested in learning more about options, about how to put your affairs in order, number one, Getting your affairs in order has a lot to do with understanding what you have and what liabilities you have. So when you come in to do an estate plan, not only are we going to outline who is going to be a good candidate to manage your affairs if you're incapacitated and distribute your assets when you pass away, but we're going to help you identify your assets. Um, We work a lot with financial planners. Um, Individuals in the firm have financial licenses, and so we focus a large amount of the estate planning on finding the assets that you have and organizing them in a way that you can easily flip to the tab with your bank accounts and understand these are the bank accounts you have open. Here are the retirement accounts that you have. Here are the insurance accounts for life insurance. Here are your cars and and, and either the registration and what you owe on them or the title and the what the ones that you own. And so not only is it going to help you feel more comfortable about where you sit with the property that you have out there, because it can get kind of overwhelming at times to manage all those assets. And it is also going to create what I like to call a roadmap for 
your children or your, your trustee, whoever that's going to be, whether it's a friend or a spouse or a child, to go down through each of your assets and know exactly where they are and the document that they need to help consolidate or distribute those assets when you pass away. So those um, options to learn about those planning and, and present questions, especially if you're a skeptic, come to these seminars, ask us live in front of a crowd. Um, give us those tough questions. It's uh, Thursday, November 30th at the Yuma Main Library at 6 p.m. and Friday, December 1st at 1 p.m. To RSVP, please call our number 928-783-4575 or you could go online and you could reserve your seat online. These these seminars do fill up and if they fill up, then you'll have to just wait for the next month. So please RSVP in advance and we look forward to seeing you there. That's all the time that we have for today. This is Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.